0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Truck Spotting, a podcast about labor, activism, the economy, culture, crime and punishment, and any other butterflies that happen to catch my attention. I'm your host, Aaron. My pronouns are he and him, and it is January 12th as I record this. I'll tell you what, this has been an exhilarating and exhausting time for me. When I decided to do this podcast, I hadn't actually been on Twitter for years. I've never been a social media kind of person, but I figured all the podcasters I listened to were on Twitter and had show Twitter accounts, and I wanted to get out there with my own show, so I followed in their footsteps. Well I have about a gazillion tweets each day about labor organization, and I have to say, as a guy who's been driving a truck for a decade and basically not paying attention to anything but my truck and my freight and the weather, damn, this was unexpected. I knew people were getting upset, but I've mostly been surrounded by anti-organizing types, and if this is a result of young people finding out just how much real life sucks and how we've been lied to our whole lives, then we may just be in good hands for the future, assuming that old people actually clear out to give them a chance. I realize it is not universal among young people. I had a Lyft driver locally volunteer that he didn't go to the big cities, meaning Tulsa, Kansas City, or Springfield because he had this compulsion to shoot liberals. That was a fascinating introduction to the area I live in now. Just outstanding. That, too, is a kind of passion, though not a particularly helpful one. Anyway, I digress. There is a passion out there, one born of desperation. Seriously, workers in restaurants and retail stores have been in dire financial straits for years, but now it's downright dangerous out there for them. Not just COVID, but the raw anger that people have at putting a piece of cloth over one's face and brings out the thug within us, and other workers pay the price. I say other workers because the people punching, screaming, and throwing things at service workers are themselves workers, sometimes themselves doing those same kinds of jobs while on the clock. But you know what? Not everyone agrees with solidarity. There are many who reject it, at least for now, and I don't know how to persuade them. It has to be something that they come to want. But people working in many service jobs are getting fed up. Conditions have changed for them. They have changed in a way that the current structure just doesn't account for. It is one thing to have low pay and crappy benefits, but not have to worry all that much about your personal safety. It's quite another to worry that any complaint might escalate into violence of some sort. And it is quite, quite another to wonder if your employer is actually going to go after the person who attacks you or your co-worker, or if they will just drop the matter because that's the easier and cheaper route. And that doesn't include risks from the pandemic itself. That doesn't include the danger of long COVID, months of months at least of illness as your body has, de- has decided that different bits of you are the enemy. SARS-CoV-2 enters you like a cold or flu, but its damaging effects are more like an autoimmune syndrome, and those are bad. It can result in diabetes, it can result in this brain fog, in recurring fevers that spike to 102 degrees every day, in muscle fatigue, in pain, in damaged nerves and other organs and skin disorders. It took them months to figure out what was going on, and they still haven't figured out why, but they can see it at the cellular level. They can figure out the mechanism, just not what switches it on. And so you have that weighing on the minds of people whose job it is to work with the public. Suddenly, hazard pay, right? And this stuff it spreads like the flu and the cold, which means there are known ways to keep it from spreading, but many people refuse to do the basic thing and mask up. Oh my goodness, how long are we expected to do this? Well, I don't know. How long do you intend to keep wearing pants in public? Lots of people around the world put on a mask when they start feeling not so good to try to keep from spreading it around in crowds or at work or at school or whatever. It's, it goes to what solidarity means, I guess. The same people who praise military service and cops and laying down lies for the good of the country often can't be bothered to take a few seconds and put on a mask before being around other people and that's essentially the opposite of solidarity with one's fellow workers it isn't about politics but it is about the typical american narcissism that pervades our society but this is getting close to a rant so let's back off of that and get back on the con get back to the topic which is the explosion of labor organizing right now and what the heck is actually going on well, what's going on is we are at a tipping point. Deaths among working-age Americans is up 40% from 2019. I'm avoiding the politics of what is and is not a COVID death and just looking at excess deaths in the US, meaning deaths above the expected, which according to the CDC is, is a 269,014 deaths, with caveats. This doesn't actually include every cause of death infections, cardiovascular issues, respiratory issues, and dementia were all included, but not, for example, cancer. Rice University, and I'm dropping a link below in the show notes, has an excellent graphical presentation, but they draw from the same data, which in my view is flawed. We can't just look at deaths that might be COVID related, but not recorded as COVID deaths. We need to look at all deaths because a lot of people have and continue to die from other issues as well due to a tapped out healthcare system. I also want to point out that this is not a constant across the entire country. We know it comes in waves and at different times in different places, and this is when everyone is most likely to die from lack of cares during one of those waves. But to a certain degree, it continues in between as well because things that could have been treated earlier become fatal. Surgery to remove cancer, for example. You have a window. The window closes, you die from it instead. Might be six months from then, might be five years from then. So I looked for cancer numbers which brought me to yet another article from the CDC and I'm dropping a link to this one as well in the show notes. It's about the death rate in the US from 2019 to 2020. The summary indicates that the age-adjusted death rate increased by 15.9% in 2020 over 2019. Age adjusted is basically like saying in 2008 dollars, it means that the population is on average getting older, and older people are more likely to die, so you expect more deaths. So you take the difference out of the deaths that actually happen. They measure these in terms of 100,000 people. In this case, in 2019, the rate was 715.9 deaths per 100,000 people for all causes of death. In 2020, that number went to 828.7 deaths per 100,000 people. That, again, is per the CDC. The factor I can't account for is the number of expected deaths at increase that were left out. However, the CDC tells us that approximately 3,358,814 deaths occurred in 2020. I should note that they did not release exactly comparable numbers between, before 2020 because they were specifically publishing this article to address the, the deaths attributed to COVID. But again, that's not my concern. I would like to share the results of a comparison between, say, cancer deaths in 2019 and 2020 and 2021, but no incidence reports have been published since 2018 there. We have no way of easily comparing because the data itself has not been collected or not been released or both and that is very interesting to me because i have to wonder what was known about this whole thing from the very beginning the 2019 results pre-covid would have been collected in january and february cancer.gov is the public facing location for information on uh, on cancer it is administered by the national i'm sorry by the national cancer institute which is part of the national institutes on health their last annual report to the nation was issued in two parts as usual one in june and one in october of last year but both were based on 2018 data i dug into the previous uh into the previous reports and they were all public and they run three years behind, and it looks like they don't actually publish data before the annual report uh, to the nation is is uh, published. So there are no public numbers. But the big issue that I have with this is that cancer is something that is often treatable, but only if you treat it within a certain window. You miss that window and it can become fatal. A lot of people miss their treatments and continue to miss their treatments due to COVID. Now, I know uh, chemo can be in pill form today. I understand that. It's often paid for by Medicare Part D through specialty pharmacies. Government negotiates rates on both inpatient and outpatient care, but is barred from negotiating with drug companies. So as much as they could, they shifted chemo from being doctor-administered in an outpatient procedure to something your doctor orders, but you take home, because they can screw both the patient and the death element at the same time that way. But chemo only works on certain tumors. Surgery and radiation are not yet taken procedures, but they are elective procedures. If you don't get them in a timely manner, you will die, but anything that can be scheduled in advance like that is an elective procedure according to the medical world, even if it's necessary to save your life. And people who have been going through chemo and radiation have compromised immune systems. And just because you took chemo at home doesn't mean that will work by itself, and often it is used in conjunction with one of the other two treatments. Radiation can take place in a nuclear medicine facility, which is basically built around a particle accelerator, which I personally think is just awesome, but it often is at a dedicated radiological center. Depending on where and when you need treatment, it might be canceled because of COVID. And right now, we don't know how many cancer sufferers are dying or dead or will be dead because of lack of timely intervention due to the pandemic. And there are other, there are other uh, things out there that require timely treatment but are considered elective. We have people that died because they have not been, because they have been able to, they may have been able to get treatment. But we're afraid to because our condition left them weak to the pandemic. So we don't know what the true death toll is. We know that the CDC reports a surplus of 269,014 deaths during the pandemic, but we know that it is in effect higher because they leave out the biggest killer of Americans, plus a number of other conditions that did not fit into their could be COVID but don't know categories. But We have another source of information, and we know that there is a 40% increase in the death rate of working-age Americans, not a 15% increase, because the folks who pay out life and disability policies know what they should expect, and they know what they pay out, and they know the difference. That's their whole job. I reached out to One America, hoping for hard numbers. Their CEO is Scott Davis, and then he was the one who discussed this at a press conference last week. But I haven't gotten a response yet. I didn't expect one, but figured it was worth five minutes to send them a question. I'm not a journalist, nor do I play one on TV. I just try to collect information about questions that come to my mind. So again, incomplete information in terms of hardened numbers, but the 40% increase is a huge deal. They, uh, uh, they characterized a 10% increase as a three sigma event, meaning a one in three hundred or a one in two hundred year event, so just a ten percent increase is a huge spike as far as they're concerned. Forty percent is just is just staggeringly high. Now they weren't asking now they weren't asking people to feel sorry for the company. They're like, you know, this is through policies. All it means is we have to charge more for premiums in the future. So uh, they'll, they'll they'll be fine. They just wanted to put into context just how bad things are out there. Because sometimes when you're filtering different numbers through the CDC due to, uh, you know, political considerations and what should and shouldn't be investigated or reported, you know, that's the, the thing is, is you, you can't fudge death certificates. Not Not really. And you certainly can't fudge insurance payouts. So that's actually a much better source of information when it's information that they can or will release. So that is a world we are facing with people. And I have to keep myself from constantly saying workforce because that term is dehumanizing. With people ever more worried that this information and the outcome and what awaits them is just uh, and what awaits them for just showing up for work. That is a level of desperation that we have not seen in a long, long time in this country. You have to go back to the pre-OSHA days to find the kinds of concerns in the general workplace today, unless you happen to be in the military, or maybe a truck driver, or in some other highly dangerous occupation. If it is a higher risk, the people who work there want to know two things, that they are being paid fairly for shouldering the risk, and that the company is going to support them when they need it most. Neither is true for far too many people. Even in a job that isn't forward-facing, like, say, working in an Amazon distribution center, where, again, they can't be arsed to put in a standard storm shelter for bathrooms or break room or whatever in freaking Illinois. You know that, if that's the case, your employer doesn't care about you. In that case, in the case of Amazon, you're being judged by a literal machine, an algorithm that determines whether you get terminated or not based on whatever they decide productivity should be. Human input is an error, and that computer is not, in fact, your friend. Uh, Amazon destroys backs like no other distribution center does, and Jeff Bezos even acknowledged it as a problem a year or two ago and said they were implementing as much automation as possible because they were expecting more from employees than employees could give, but the company sure as heck wasn't going to reduce their requirements. So some of the workers out there organizing have known for a while that they mean nothing to the faceless people on the other end of the internet who pass along those from some computer. And I'm not a luddite. Heck, in my view, we haven't automated enough, mostly because we don't want to take the time to scale up the people in our work in our workplaces. Businesses lose control if they do that. That's why that that but that that's a too hot to work grant though. I'll direct you to that. It's on cast box and link to from the public post on my Patreon. There's a big difference between using machines and computers and using them as a tool of oppression and abuse. And what is happening, and, and that is what is happening in workplaces uh, more than most people realize. When you have the boomers retiring from the workforce, and I want to be specific here, it was the withdrawal of the boomers from the labor pool that drove the worker shortage. Not young people. You finally find a shortage. This has been talked about my whole life, and I'm 45. When the baby boomers go away, suddenly the economy will be in big trouble. But at the same time, there are all these pandemic issues as well. Workers being assaulted both verbally and physically, exposure to wave after wave of disease that can disable or kill you, never-ending mandatory overtime, and sometimes employers trying to actually decrease the wages and benefits of workers. All these, and more and more people are saying we've had enough, and right now workers have have everything on their side. The and there's the internet. I joined the IWW because of the internet because one of my favorite podcasters mentioned being a member himself, and it struck a memory of the of things from the turn of the century history stuff. And indeed, it was still the same or the same organization, and here I was being self-employed, but I could still be a part of the union they didn't care where i where i worked or even if i had a current occupation and at that point i hadn't seen all the uh, all the organization going on online because i was driving a truck as an independent contractor not paying attention at all to social media and apparently a lot of other people decided the time was right because wowsers are things happening quickly you want to know why it's important to vote the nlrb and labor laws the things that allow you to organize. Go ahead. Read about the history of the IWW, with the AFL and the CIO and the blood that was spilled just to have the right to do the things you're doing now. And that includes having the time off to enjoy a crappy podcast like this one. I mean, thanks. I appreciate you listening, but a century ago, you'd be busting your ass 14 hours a day, 6 or 7 days a week for a pittance in a death trap. Doesn't matter what you did back then, everything was was a death trap by comparison to what you're used to today. Remember, Starbucks employees are only able to effectively organize because there is a Democrat in the White House who put some people on the NLRB to make it work, instead of make it not work like the last guy did. I voted to try to protect what could be protected of the system, and it helped to open up a floodgate of frustration and desperation, and I want that floodgate to remain open. I don't care what party someone is from. Hell, if the Republican Party from the 1860s and 70s made a surprise comeback, then I would applaud it. These political labels are there for one reason – to divide us so we can't come together to oppose oppression in in all the ways that the elites ensnare us in their traps. My thoughts and support are with the Bessemer Alabama Amazon workers as they prepare for another chance at organizing in February. Amazon was so horrible in uh, in their conduct that the NLRB is having them redo the election. Honestly, this is why Bezos gave up as CEO of Amazon, because he would have had to deal with the unionization of his workforce. He knew that when Trump lost the election, it was just a matter of time that he would be forced to accept human input in his company, and his beloved HR algorithm would be deposed from its place as the true ruler of Amazon. And I don't think that this is the end of it. There's more in store from uh, for them, as their business practices in general come under attack, the rock goes deep there. In the meantime, though, look at everything else happening: half-price books in the Twin City area is unionized, politics and pros in D.C. unionized, the Tennessee whiskey workers union working their way through the process, Kroger's workers in Colorado at their King Super brand are on strike. Why? Because a lot of these workers don't make enough money to live fdr said in a way that i'm going to close with no business which which depends for existence on paying less than the living wages to to its workers has any right to continue in this country by living wages i mean more than a bare subsistence level i mean the wages of decent living thanks for listening you can follow me on twitter at truck Spotting podcast and you can find my Patreon with links to my rant cast by looking for truck spotting podcast on on Patreon or follow the links at the bottom of the comments. Thanks again for listening.